Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. I want to remind you that Baseball America's 2015 books are now on sale. The 2014 books have been marked down, but the 2015 books, or it's book season right now with the regular season over. The Almanac, the Prospect Handbook, the 2015 directory, the Super Register, even the Great Parks calendar, which you're voting on, our Battle of the Ballparks on Facebook, all available at baseballamerica.com slash store, JJ. Fantasy Guide coming, too. Fantasy Guide. I don't even think of that as a book. It's a magazine. It's a magazine, but, I mean, we've got our annual Hall of Fame uh, encyclopedia that we do with the Hall of Fame now. This year's will have six new entries in it. Hey. Pretty, pretty good reason to get the book this year if you want to uh if you're a hall of fame devotee or like the history of the game if you're like the president of the game this is a great time for you because the playoffs are upon us and jj i think one thing that uh i want to get this out of the way uh, i will say first of all i think we both love the playoff format second of all i almost forgot this as part of my intro uh i want to thank lee folger for his 15 years at baseball america we're on a new kind of era at baseball america uh, will lingo already has been named the general manager of baseball america and uh which uh, means it's the same as our old publisher title. It's kind of funny because Will is actually applying this morning for the job, which he's already been promoted to. I, I, I hope that it works out for him. Cause, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 he put me down as a reference this morning. He asked me. So does that mean is, it, is your title going to become assistant GM, or are you a special assistant to the GM? Or yeah. are you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I hadn't asked. My title stays the same: domestic dad nerd. That hasn't changed. Um, but I did want to just thank Lee for all the time that he's been at BA. Obviously, he's never been on this podcast. Thank God we would have had to shut down. Yeah, that, uh, our bad joke quota would have you, been pegged. If you're a listener who goes to winter meetings, you've you've heard the Lee Folger uh, comedy experience. And but Lee's a good man, and yes. uh, uh, worked with him for 15 years, and uh, you know that's a significant change here to have the person in charge of the company uh, no longer in charge of the company, going to go work for the Durham Bulls as they promote the. Uh, ACC baseball tournament, but um, you know now we have a, a member of the editorial staff for the last twenty years in Will Lingo going to run the whole company, and uh, so that's really pretty special thing. And for somebody who's shared an office with Will for more than nine years, I'm excited about it. I don't think people at home will notice any changes in Baseball America for the worse. I think we're going to see changes for the better um, because somebody who knows the product that intimately, somebody who used to do our indie ball notebook is making the business decisions now and I'm not casting any aspersions on Lee. I just have complete faith in Will. So I think it's going to be a really good period going forward. So but I did want to say that I think it's a very unique situation uh, in the publishing industry to have an editorial person being in charge of all those things. And Will used to be on the podcast and he probably won't be on a podcast ever again. But the first podcast was me and Will at your church in 2006. And I was like, hey, wait a minute, I can walk around with these microphones. So I just started pacing around and <laughs> It was supposed to be 15 minutes, and shockingly, I, I went like 25. So, good times. That's been uh, eight years I, plus of podcasts. I, I, again, a little trivia question. I, I was saying it. We, we did figure out that Latroy Hawkins, there is at least still yeah. a player who is a, technically at least active. We don't know if Latroy will be back in 2015. wasn't a big farewell tour for Latroy, so we don't know. Jason Giambi, I think, is another right. uh, long-term player. I believe he was drafted in 1991. 
out of Long Beach State? So there are still a few players left who were drafted. I mean, really, that's all we're talking about at this point, who were drafted before the Will Lingo Baseball America era began. But right. we're running out of those players very quickly. It's pretty few for me. I mean, 96, I started September of 96. So that 96 draft, the Chris Bensons and the Braden Loopers and the Travis Lees and the... They've been long um, gone. <laughs> Todd Helton, that was a 95 draft, if memory serves. So, yeah, most of the... I don't think, I mean, like even Katze, Katze was 96 draft. He gone. So, yeah, been here a long time. Uh, in that time, when, now when we started, we did start with three divisions. So we've had, if you really think about it, this quote-unquote new playoff format. I know we have the two wild cards. That's, that's fairly new. But three divisions wild cards, which was 20 years ago, was like a seismic change in baseball. Not so seismic anymore. And, J.J., I think we both agree that going to two wild cards kind of almost wish this had been the format all along it's a better format even if you do have an imperfect one game it's imperfect in fairness but it's perfect for excitement and we have two uh, i think great wild card matchups i argue it's not imperfect at all i think it is the perfect way to do it i don't think i don't want to see a best of five wild card series to get us to the division series Completely i have agree. no desire at all to see that but i have every bit of the desire to see that you get rewarded. I know it's not completely fair. It's not a completely balanced schedule. It's something where, yes, a team with 88 wins could win a division while a team with 92 goes to the wild card. Right. All that. That's just the that's just sports. That's just the reality of it is, is that's the format in pretty much every game that we see played. Right. Every, that's, that's life. You know, sometimes you wake up, you had a bad night's sleep, but you got to test the next morning. I mean, it's just, you, everything's not optimal. But, but I did not like the old format where... Yeah. Really, the 162-game season, there wasn't that much reward. Home field, advantage, was, yeah. home field advantage for a series is not enough reward for, congratulations, you were better over the course of 162. Right. Getting in saying you are in the division series, and by the way, you, these other two teams are playing a one-game do-or-die for the right to get to the division series. Right. That is absolutely, to me, the perfect reward for valuing the 162-game season and consistency over such a long stretch. Here's a crazy idea I just am actually thinking of. I mean, like, there are always these ideas of... I agree that the current format is... If you're going to have expanded playoffs, <clears throat> not just going to have National League winner goes to World Series, American League winner goes to World Series, which is not rea realistic anymore. But if you're going to do it the way we... I think this is the best format. I do have a crazy... It just popped in my head. Because, you know, Scott Boris has had some ideas... And one thing I really respect about Scott is that he sees the game somewhat like we do. Actually, he has better perspective because he's more intimately involved. He knows more about it. But he sees the game from the amateur perspective. He's invested in that with high school tournaments. He spent, obviously, the time that he spends recruiting amateur players. And then, obviously, he's invested at the big league level. He's not the only person, but he's the, most, he's the one who's gotten publicity for this idea of having like the World Series be nine games and having the first two games being in a neutral site. Would these world, would these wild card games be games that you could have at a neutral site that would be interesting? Would you be interested if just you had a one day doubleheader, you go to a dome stadium, whether it's in Arizona or whatever, and the American League wild card is the at, at matinee and the National League wild card is a night game, or vice versa? You flip it that kind of. Would you have any interest in that? No. Okay. And here's why I say that. This, I mean, there's also a reward right now for being the first wild card right. compared to the second. If you're last year, if you were a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, right, and they said, "Hey, 
Congratulations, you're the number one wild card, and you get to bat in the bottom of the ninth right. in Arizona. If I was a Pirates fan, I would feel entirely and totally cheated. And here's your reward. Here's a $1,000 plane ticket right. to, you know, and find a hotel to go to Arizona. Right. To me, that does not – and to me, this is something where baseball – I, I know we have cold weather. It gets, we're we're going to be right to the bumping up against November, all that. Right. That being said – because baseball is not a one game, do it. You know, yeah. like if, here we all just meet, play one game, and go home. It needs to be in the home parks. I, mean, I that's, agree. You know, I do the, think that's the one day you could maybe do something. I don't think you do that with the World Series. Yeah, I think. But I think it'll be. It could get interesting if you had a wild, just wild card day, and just had one day, and you had a one o'clock game and a six o'clock game, and that would be interesting. That would be a fun day where it's four teams enter, two teams leave. You okay. know, that could be fun. I, Hey, again, I love the wild card being this way because one game winner, you know, goes on is fascinating baseball. It leads to different strategies, some of which are fun, some of which are get a little tiresome, to be honest. <laughs> yes. But the the biggest thing though is, is that I, I know we have a lot of traditionalists who think, you know, like, well, you know, we've cheapened it. It was the best when it was that everyone battled. And lot, admittedly, there are a lot less teams then. Right. But you're the National League winner. Congratulations. You're the American League. There's actually, the thing about it is, is in many ways, I think that if we did have that, which, again, I think there are people out there who still wish we did that, it's a disaster. Yeah. It basically means, we talk about the sanctity of the 162-game season and how it's important at all. What you would have when you have a dominant team is that pretty much come the start of August, it'd be like, okay, we now give permission to everyone pretty much who's a casual fan Check out for the rest of the year. Exactly. Could you imagine, like, I mean, this is a long time ago, but like the 84 Tigers, when they started off, what was it, 35 and 5 or something like that? Everyone in the American League East basically did check out that year because the Tigers dominated so much. I mean, I know there have been dominant teams since then. That's still the first one. I mean, the Yankees, 98 Yankees. I mean, there was no interest in that division race. The interest was in them chasing the all time wins record. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, it, this is a better system. I agree. This, this right now. You have 30 teams, you have nearly twice the number of teams. Maybe 10 teams in the grand scheme of team things seems like it's too many playoff teams. I think it's I actually just right. I, I don't think we've ever had a team. I know that we now have teams who win, you know, 80, you know, 85, 86, 87 can now get in sometimes. But it doesn't happen very often. Right. And the thing about it is, is you still – We've yet to have a sub-500 team. We came close. Right. But if I remember correctly, we have not had a sub-500 no, team. No, the Padres were, what, 82 and 79 or 82 right. and 80 that year? 2005, I think it was. But over the course, again, baseball has a schedule unlike any other schedule in sports. You know, I don't think there's – I mean, it's not close. 162 games, we do have a, essentially a reward for that. I No, I, I think there is – and you have these two cities with this very 1979-feeling playoffs with the Angels. That's why I say specifically 79, but a 70s-feel. A's, Royals, Pirates, uh, Orioles, Angels. These are all teams that and the Angels had that. Obviously, had the Nolan, your Nolan Ryan and your 1979 team. You had the Orioles and the Pirates squared off in two World Series to bookend that decade, 71 and 79. Um, but for the Royals and Pirates, I mean, the Pirates were the feel-good story last year. Now the Royals kind of are this year, JJ. They're your two wild card home teams. You've done our Royals prospect list for a long time. You know Royals fans' angst. I mean, it just—I—I I, I guess it is irony that the Royals are the least statistically analysis, analytics, moneyball kind of team you could almost think of. 
when they are really the birthplace of it, considering Bill James uh, and, and the revolution that he begat. I, I have always thought that's ironic, and yet this Royals team, despite having one of the weakest, not one of the fewest home runs for a playoff team since the 88 Dodgers, and they certainly don't have Oral Hershiser on the mound, although James Shields is a, you know, a, a good pitcher. But there's no if, single. If he does an Oral Hershiser, you know, 88, you know, then we will truly, he will be yes. big James forever. But I mean, uh, it, it, they, are, they are not a playbook that most teams can execute to get to the playoffs. Their margin for error is so slim, and yet they're here and they're playing an A's team that was 15 and 30 at one stretch down the stretch of the season. Um, and a, a great former AL East matchup with Lester, the ex Red Sox, and Shields, the ex uh, Ray. This is a really compelling. Uh, wild card in the American League, and I love Matt Myers' tweet about it. Once and for all, Moneyball will be settled. Billy Bean's Hayes against uh, Arch Stewart's Royals. The, the funny thing is, is that, I, and I, <clears> I hear where <throat> you're coming from, and in some ways they are the anti-Moneyball. I mean, if you, especially if we reduce Moneyball back to 2002, walks good. This is a, right. this is a Royals team that, when it comes to walks, it they they have not seen a uh, a ball in a three one count. It's just you know, not it an emphasis. It's not an emphasis. But, there is a different mindset, I think, but, in these organizations. But I would say the funny thing is, is in a different way, and you can call it sabermetric or not. What I find fascinating about the Royals is, is that the Royals actually have done some things, some other ways that actually are kind of analytical. And maybe they came across it. I don't know if they came across it on purpose or not, but. The big trend a couple of years ago everyone was talking about was defense and how important defense was. Well, right. especially with their park. Their park is one that, that knocks down home runs. You're, that, that's not the reason they haven't hit any home runs because they haven't hit any home runs at home. They haven't hit any home runs on the road. Right. But their park is not one for home runs. They, but they do. What they did is, is they have, I think it's pretty simply the best defense out there, you know, as far as they have an outfield defense that is insane because you really dynamic, have dynamic athletic defense in the outfield, especially, and then really when you the, put, the left side of their infield is pretty tremendous. So with that, what it's allowed them to do, I mean, Jeremy Guthrie, you know, Jason Vargas, they're not exceptional pitchers by any stretch of imagination, right? But you put them, especially you got some guys with fly ball tendencies. You put them in that ballpark. You put them with an outfield that runs down, turns doubles into outs. You do that, and then one other thing they do, they don't steal, they don't hit home runs, but they steal bases at an extremely high rate for modern-day baseball. They right. led, the, you know, I think they led baseball. I know they led the AL in steals. And they did it while stealing at a very high success rate, which is something, you know, it's one thing to go out there and steal bases, but if you're stealing, the, you know, and you're getting thrown out one out of every three times, you're not doing anything for you. And like we talked about, their offense right now, their best-case offensive scenario, J.J., is... Get someone on, keep it close, get someone on late, and let's go to, let's hope it's Dyson and the, or we go to Gore. I mean, like, they're one of their biggest weapons. Dyson, is Gore, and pray for like more. Mini, yeah, like mini Billy Hamilton, basically, <laughs> Terrence Gore. One of the guys that we got to see in that 2012 Appy League playoff series. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite games of all time, 2012 Appy League, Elizabeth Thinn and Burlington. And Terrence Gore was there, and here two years later, he's playing in the, Playoffs, playoffs. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome that he's playing. There, if you are, I think every Royals fan out there right now. We're recording this at ten fifty in the morning on the morning of these games. If you told every Royals fan, hey, it's going to be a tie score at the end of the sixth inning, 
whatever that score is. And I think most Royals fans would kind of think it would be 1-1. One, one, one. One. <laughs> you know? But if it's a tie score at the end of the sixth inning, every Royals fan in the country would probably sign up for that. Because, no, it is. Their best offense in many ways is someone walks or someone gets hit by a pitch or someone lines a single. Because they do have – they are actually a team that puts the ball in play. Right. But someone gets a single, and then it is. Okay, Dyson, you come in. And, yes, it doesn't – when you have guys who really are, you know, top-of-the-scale speed guys who know how to steal bases, there's not a lot, especially a lot of relievers, there's not a lot they can do. Right, right. I mean, you're, if you're one – uh, again, if you're one three of the plate, yep, and that's who you are, and a lot of relievers, you know, often are because they don't have to worry about this that often. Right. But if you're th- that kind of guy, yes, you can call a pitch out. But if they, okay, well then you are shifting the advantage to the hitter because let's say you call a pitch out and nothing happened. Okay, well you just gave them a ball, and then after that you can't call a second one usually. Right, exactly. So then Dyson or that's the Gore, one pitch you never double up on. <laughs> so then Gore or Dyson is going to be standing on second. And again, the other thing in this game, you know, the A's have the interesting question of, so who do you start at catcher? Right. It is, it's a challenge for Oakland. I mean, what do you do back there? Do you start Derek Norris? Do you start – I mean, they obviously had uh, concussion issues for John Jaso, which I think were underplayed as far as, like, his absence and the effect that had on their lineup. Um, but the A's are a fascinating team, as are the Royals. JJ, I mean, like, so much of the attention went to the Cespedes trade with Oakland – I was at first, I was of the mind that when Oakland first slumped after that trade, that it was just some regression, natural regression, and that's why Oakland struggled so much after he left. It got so bad, I started to think, wow, they really, maybe they really do miss him. I, I, I think it's probably both. And there was some regression, but they certainly missed having that threat in their lineup, I, I thought. I, I, I agree somewhat, but I, I do think more than that, it is that, I mean, I think these, the funny thing is, is I think this is some of the reasons that Billy Bean made those trades is because I think if you looked at this team at the midpoint of the season and, and looked at them with a, a skeptical eye, you could say, and they said it, and there was some of this evaluation at the time, you know what, this team as it is constructed right now is probably not nearly as good as this record indicates. Right. Like Scott Casimir is not going to be this Scott Casimir for an entire 162-game season. And, and Jesse Chavez, in the, still a very good year, but Jesse Chavez was not right. as good over the second half. And it's not something where you can say, well, we couldn't have seen that coming. Jesse Chavez had never been that good. Right. Scott Casimir was uh, essentially a year and a half out of the Sugarland Skeeters in Indy Ball, where he had a worse ERA than he had this year <laughs> in the AL. Right, but he was pretty good for Cleveland last yes, year. Yes, I mean, Obviously, was. I mean, I, w- I don't think they were expecting him to regress. I think they were not expecting their offense to take as big of a step back. But that offense, I, I do think, it, obviously, Cespedes being out of its part of it, Brandon Moss's hip injury, I think, is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, it really seemed like it just that combination kind of left Josh Donaldson on an island. You know, Coco Crisp hasn't been as good in the second half as he was in the first. Um, I don't know. I, I, mean, I guess I wonder which team you really think was closer to the real. I mean, I don't think Oakland's a 15 games under 500 team like they were in the second yeah. half. I don't think they were the best team in baseball as they were in the first half either. I mean, I think it was all said, when this all settles out, I think they ended up being about the team that they actually are. But, but going forward, they're, they're in. Are they? The trades were made adding Lester and Samarja to, so that Billy's stuff would work in the postseason because he famously said it didn't in the past. Do you think they're better constructed for the playoffs now once it's all said yeah. and done? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you're saying that, okay, takes, you know, Cespedes out. 
Okay, so we're losing him. But then add in that you're really your number one and number two starters in the playoffs are Lester and Samarja. Let's take him out. Okay, let's say that they made it in the same situation without that trade. You know, and again, you so you give him Samarja in this situation. Yeah, the luxury is almost having Samarja as your three because Sonny Gray. Yeah, you can. Yeah. I mean, you really though you've got two. You've got yeah. you've got a one, and then you've got uh, you really have. Three, three guys. Yeah, you have three guys who you feel comfortable the, <laughs> starting at the front of the playoff rotation. The Angels, who won a gazillion games, were looking at like, wait, you can have three of these guys? Wait, Jesse Chavez will be our two. <laughs> That's what they're looking at. No, I... I, I seriously. I mean, Jason Hamill would be starting in the postseason for them, would he not? Oh, no doubt. He'd be there, too. He'd be their <laughs> number two. I mean, C.J. Wilson had a terrible stretch. Shoemakers banged up. I mean, the Angels are I mean, a very unique Can team. you remember... I cannot remember a team where they're going to have to count on a guy in the playoffs who didn't even get to have any reacclimation process. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last team that had a postseason rotation in the shape that the Angels are. Not just any team, the team that had the best record in the major leagues. The team that won 98 See, games. And the funny thing about it is, though, is, is that I actually think in some ways, and I don't know if Mike Sosha's got to do this, but we've talked about... It's not necessarily a fun brand of baseball to watch, but I do think in the playoffs, because of the off days that you have, I mean, the schedule is such that you can, you can tax your bullpen pretty regularly. And especially, I hate to say this, but especially if you're the Angels case, I mean, this is, this is 2014 and 15 to extent at, or bust. I mean, because right. the... You know, this is we are in France and it's you know 1785 <laughs> and you go, huh? They're uh, seem to kind of restless out. It's gonna get bad. Point les mois les deluge. I mean, you know, so it's coming bad. I see. I just assume that you're making a, that you're getting ready. To, you're gonna say 1917 or 1918? Yeah. Like this needs to end now. But no, but you went I, even further on. That. I went. I went. Impressed. You know, but uh, you know, go off my uh, you know my ancient French Revolution history. I thought we were gonna get a Marshall Foch reference. But we've talked about him lately too. But uh, but. They are going for it. If you have to, you are, I, I know no other way to put it. You do not worry that you say, wow, we really overworked that reliever a little bit. And right. It's going to really come back and hurt us in 2015. Correct. You, with what they're going to do, you are going to go to that pen. You know, if, if Weaver's not on the mound, that, that call's coming quick. Jared Weaver probably has more pressure on him than any starting pitcher in this postseason. He's so far and away the ace of that team. He's been around there a long time. Um, if he doesn't pitch deep in the game and they don't win games that he starts, I have a feeling the Angels but, feel like they're in trouble. But the thing about this is their bullpen is good enough. Oh, it's very good now. That, so what I'm saying is, is that I think in, in some ways the fact that it could be Corey Rasmus starting a game yeah. <laughs> is actually an advantage because True. you don't have – you don't have any qualms if Corey Rasmus has a good first and a pretty good second, right. and he runs into trouble in the third. You're like, okay, let's bring in the lefty, then the righty, then the lefty, then the righty. And let's face it, the Angels championship in 2002, yeah, they had decent starting pitching at that time, but that was a the famously a bullpen. You know, Brandon Donnelly. Who was the other guy with the crazy goggles? Um, oh, sorry, uh, the last she, uh, Wise was that it? No, because they I don't even know if they had Scott Shield. Shields, but they had, they had I two think they had Scott X, Shields and then K-Roll. I mean, obviously they had, X, they had two ex-Indy ballers setting up. I forget one guy had the Brendan Weber. Ben, yeah. ben Weber yeah. had, the, had the hand pump. They had Weber. They had Donnelly. Then they had K-Rod. And then, of course, they still had Troy Person. Mm -hmm. They really had like a four. So, that when, when, so in the last game of that 
march of attrition, John Lackey gives you five innings. Rookie John Lackey gives you five in Game 7. They could get you through through the last four. So it's not like uh, Mike Sosha hasn't done this before. Uh, he has. It was a but, long time ago. The game has but, changed. But my point being, you, yeah. don't, you don't worry. With Corey Rasmus, you're pulling him at the first sign of trouble. Whereas if you had essentially... You know, if if this was shoe, I mean, in Shoemaker now because of the injury, you're not worried about right. doing that. But if it was something where you had a guy who is not really going to give you that much more chance to right. win, but he's quote the established veteran, it's tougher to pull C.J. Wilson from that. Group. I agree. If you have a lo- if you have a short outing from Wilson or Weaver, it's one thing that could be one that does affect your team. But if you have a if you get four outings out of Corey Rasmus, if he has to start in the postseason. You're, you're feeling pretty good if you're an Angels player. Hey, we're going to our bullpen. That's our strength. But, again, now let's just throw this out there. Like, okay, here is the guys that they could go to. You're saying, okay, so Houston Street, Joe Smith. Again, I think all these guys are healthy if I remember right now. Um, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't watched a whole lot of Angels games recently because right. they won that division a while back. Uh, but, you know, Jepson, Morin, Salas, Grilly. They they have I mean I, I don't know how you know we we not they haven't had to set a roster yet but they have six to seven legit bullpen arms yeah the last time I saw Michael Morin pitch was uh, he was getting beat back to back nights by St John's in the 2011 I think and now it was 2012 a, regional 2012 regional in Chapel Hill getting beat by St John's and now just two years later inning. sixty he, quality outings. yeah he was outstanding this year uh, really, really very solid former number one prospect in the Mink League so. Our summer college league prospect list, which are up on the site right now. But, um, but my point read being, them. you might have a future Michael Moore in there. But my point being, they are not going to have. I mean, you, if you, with their situation, if you carry, and I would say if I'm them, I'm carrying seven ideal. I mean, they're yeah. a team that I can see why. Correct. You can turn to them every single night. They really are. It's, the it, games will take five hours. But. It, it could be a really uh, almost thought provoking to watch if the Angels win. This is a. It's a pitching year. It seems like we're in a pitching era, a strikeout era, a depressed offense era. And yet the Angels led the American League in runs scored, and they may have led the major leagues. Uh, they, this is a devastating offense in today's context. They have the best player in baseball. I mean, the storyline you could see if the Angels win it is Derek Jeter retires. And so, I present and, you the ground. And exactly, and hands the baton of baseball off to Mike Trout who certainly is well-known. I mean, he's the only active baseball player I know other than Jeter who's doing national TV commercials. Mm. It's pretty much Trout. Who else does them? Some, uh, Joe um, Maurer still doing any uh, head and shoulders commercials? I was going to say, does C.J. Wilson? And he... he does his head and shoulders as well. But Trout, to me, yeah. you know, we had this whole yeah, face of baseball. Bryce oh, yeah, that's right, the Gatorade. You're right. So to, this is the chance. It would be awesome for the sport, in my mind, just looking at it from a big picture. If you had a Washington and Angels World Series – and it was Harper Trout, even though Harper's certainly not the main <laughs> player in Washington. And I'm also going to point out one quick diversion, as we mentioned, the Nationals, J.J. Remember how we, even in the office, like, how can Jim Callis write Anthony Rendon better than Bryce Harper? Yeah, Anthony Ooh. Rendon was better than Bryce Harper this year. Anthony Rendon is probably <clears throat> probably the Nationals' best position player. He's just a stud of a player. Uh, Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post had a great feature on Anthony Rendon the other day. And... Uh, so this is we did, we just had. I mean, there's a lot of fatigue, a lot of Jeter fatigue. I don't know how yet. I, I guess I understood it before the last weekend. The last weekend was pretty phenomenal with his last game in Absolutely. Yankee Stadium, and then the the ceremony the Red Sox did. I, I, and I think now that it's over, I think people almost like almost might miss it a little bit because it was so well done at the end. Um, but so Jeter exits stage left. 
we have a chance to have two baseball's two biggest young stars uh, in Trout and Harper, biggest names among his young stars, take center stage. And, and that, to me, as a, someone who is interested in capital B baseball as an industry and how it's doing, I'm excited for that. So it'd be, and it would also be fascinating to watch in a year of bullpens and bullpen relief pitchers striking guys out, throwing as hard as they can for the Angels, basically with one cromulent starting pitcher to win a World Series or to go deep in a postseason with the kind of bullpen approach you're talking about. That would be emblematic and of the time. That's the direction I want to go on, is that I think that this playoffs and what happened at the end of the season yeah. is very important for baseball, and I think it's in a way that we may end up having to have some sort of rule adjustment to keep us, to essentially right. save the game from the direction it's going, in that I think what we saw with the Angels, what to me what fascinated me is, is that when Garrett Richards went down, the Angels were still at that point. It's hard to believe now, but if you were think back all the way back to a month yeah. ago, they were still in a playoff and a pennant race. Yeah, they only had like a one or two game lead. It was on the not A's, something where the A's games. had faded out of the picture. It was, hey, we're heading down, and they had a situation where they had they literally had no starting pitching option on their team where you could say, okay, well, next guy up. They didn't right. have it, so their choices were one well, or two. Their, their, their option was Wade Loblong. Right, and so they didn't have it. And so their choices were, we either go out and get a starting pitcher, you know, and a, and a, which I, at that point they are really checking the, the cushions of the couch to see, do we have a prospect left who could get us, you know. I would, some, I would love to have been on those phone calls to Salt Lake. So who are your starting pitchers? In it? Who's most ready? Well, <laughs> but call double A. So they had a choice of doing that to get a starting pitcher in or doing what they did, which is we're just not going to have a starting pitcher for those days. That will be – it is Sunday in college baseball where it is Johnny Holstaff, <laughs> and what that's what we're going to do. And the thing about it is, is they not only did it, it succeeded. And then you saw – They them, ran away from the division. And then you saw the Mariners right. at the end of the season. Now, at their point, they had – their option was is either they could call up a guy from AAA, and they had some options there – or, but when Chris Young basically said, oh, he's done, their choices when they, they were still out. in it was, let's start Tom Wilhelmsen and we're going to go Johnny Holstaff and we'll try to win that way. The thing about it is, is, which is interesting, but also I think in some ways frightening for baseball is his teams are realizing more and more that it is easier to find seven guys for your bullpen who can have success right. than it is to find a fourth or fifth guy for your – if you have a fourth or fifth guy in your rotation go down, and especially when we get to September when it's like we got 13 guys in our bullpen. It's like running back because the analogy I make, you're the big football guy, but isn't this the way major NFL teams have evolved on running backs? Would you rather pay one guy – I understand you have to have five starting pitches, so it's different. But would you rather have one guy who you pro, who you get to give the ball 25 times to, you're going to wear him out, but you probably have to pay him a decent amount of money to be that one guy – or would you rather have three guys? And they just, but especially, they, 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 specialization but, wins out. But that. let's go a step further, though, because in, when it comes to starting pitchers to relief pitchers, what we've seen, and we have so many examples right now, but we've got some prime, huge examples this year. Okay, look at the Yankees. Dylan Betances, right. failed starter. Epically I, failed. Epic, but... Epically successful reliever. Wade Davis. Wade Davis has had, at this point, enough starts to establish. Wade Davis, not a good starting pitcher. 
Wade Davis, one of the best years you'll ever see for a reliever. By the way, and he's following up Luke Hochaver, who had even more chances to show <laughs> I cannot start. And Luke Hochaver had an epically good season last year before blowing his elbow out. You look at the Orioles, they've done this. You you look at team after team, and what you've found is... is yeah, Zach Britton, failed Orioles starter. Andrew Miller, failed Red Sox starter, failed everybody starter. Tommy Hunter. Yeah, exactly. You look at player... Tommy Hunter, Tommy Hunter as a starter is like, eh. His stuff pretty vanilla. Yeah. Tommy Hunter is reliever. You're going, where where's that velo coming from? Yeah. yeah. And we talk about it even in the in, even in the minor leagues. I was talking to a manager. He's like, yeah, we took one of our like our fifth starter here. We put him in the pen for a couple of games. He's like, Does he threw a 98. Yeah. By the way, here are your Triple A Salt Lake starters this year: Jared Grube, 32; Wade LeBlanc, uh, aforementioned Wade LeBlanc; Justin Thomas, 30; Anthony Larue. No, he still was kicking around. With his uh, 675 ERA and Caleb Clay, and, and, and don't forget Yoslan Herrera was down there kicking so, around. Chris Volstad and Randy Wolf. So what those are the guys who got starts. So what we're saying, no. There so was, what we're saying, this is why the Angels went to this bullpen approach, but, and like you said, JJ, it was effective for them, and it feels like this is becoming the template going what, forward. What I'm saying is, is going forward, I, I think that more teams are going to say, you know, if you have an injury, a starter go down. Rather than if, especially, it's one thing if you go out and get a Samarge or a Lester, but is it really worth it to go out? Um, who was the uh, who was the soft tosser a few years ago? Um, traded from the NL to the AL. Um, uh, you got the narrow down a bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> left-handed or right-handed? Left-hander. Um, uh, traded to which team? I want to say the Red Sox had him one year, and he was just terrible for them. I, 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 it's not worth it. We were not, I, okay. I won't go. But, but we'll my go point, back and edit it in. But, yeah, my, my point is is that, uh, you know, we'll just leave this as part of, you know, this is the uh, organicness <laughs> of the podcast. But the point being, though, is that if you're trying to add a fifth starter type, right? is that really – and you're gonna, it's going to cost you talent to go get that guy? And that's, the, that's what's so interesting is that they had the A's and the Angels taking really these completely opposite approaches. The A's decided to win in the postseason. We're going to load up on starting pitching, on frontline starting pitching, dominant power arms, one of whom and Lester were really banking on with this exalted postseason pedigree that he's earned from back to when he was recovering from cancer in 2007 as a rookie with the Red Sox to what he did in 2013 with the Red Sox. So this is a guy with two World Series rings, was a key part of both teams, especially last year. They're banking on that. Um, along with Samarja and Gray, and the Angels are pretty much banking on this Johnny Holstaff approach. And the National League really is, is different too, J.J., in that you have, uh, you know, to me, three of the better starting rotations in all of baseball. The Nationals, to me, probably the best, yeah, I think that's where so. Tanner Roark uh, has a tremendous year. Congratulations. I still think he's turning into a pumpkin at some point, but, God, the guy had an amazing season. I probably should give him his due. But he's, like, their fifth starter and they, their, their debate is over who's our number one. Is it Fister or is it uh, Zimmerman who just threw the no-hitter? Or Strasburg. Or is it Strasburg who has the best stuff maybe on the planet? Um, I think they're settling on Strasburg. But, uh, you know, but you they don't have to, the great thing for them is they don't have to have an answer to that. Right. It's they, just they don't next guy up. Exactly. And then you have in the other one, the other series, you have Cardinals-Dodgers. And the first game there is oh just Wainwright versus Kershaw. I mean, you know, and the and the. I know by the way, and we got Granky sitting and you know waiting in the wings. And, and the Cardinals have Lance Lynn, who's another underrated starting pitcher who just every year now just goes out and gets 180 to 200 innings and wins 15 to 18 games and is above average 
in just about every way. His walk rate, his strikeout rate, his uh, durability. Lance Lynn's just really good, underrated and really good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you do have these kind of these dueling. Obviously, Detroit banking 100% on starting pitching. Certainly not banking on his bullpen. <laughs> and Baltimore, I think, is the opposite. Baltimore doesn't have an ace. They, I think their starting pitching is underrated. I think Chris Tillman's really good. I think Gonzalez is good. I, I, I like their starting pitching way but in their Chen, bullpen. But their bullpen's otherworldly. It's mostly failed starters. And then you have Buck, uh, Buck Showalter, who knows how, to, knows how and when to deploy Darren O'Day, knows how and when to deploy Tommy Hunter, uh, O'Day the one non-failed starter. And then it was mostly a ground ball pitching staff, and then you add in Andrew Miller to give you some swing and miss tendencies in that bullpen. It's and their bullpen's been unhittable. I do think Baltimore uh, is the team that's probably going to be carried more by its pitching than you think. Because I, I, I wonder... They, they better, they, because their offense is... Right. I, 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 the Machado injury is still the one that sticks out the most to me. They still... I mean, at first base, okay, they lose Chris Davis. Steve Pierce actually had a better year. I think they're better off with Steve Pierce. I don't know... There's no way you can argue they're better off at third base with the conglomeration of people they're playing there versus Manny Machado. Because they um, don't really have an They answer. don't. It's like Ryan Flaherty, like, so they don't have to play Jonathan Scope, who at second base with his 210 batting average and 130 strikeouts and 10 walks, uh, all values are approximate. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, that, that, I think they're the team that's most affected by injuries. What's your take on Detroit, JJ? Is this team, um, are they closer to the Oakland? I mean, they feel like they're so similar to Oakland, and their regular season was almost a disappointment. But now that they're in... I have to like a team's chances with Scherzer. Verlander's been better down the stretch. Porcello, the way he's pitched. And obviously David Price, who was money for them in his last start. No, I think they're a team that is... They're much more dangerous in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. Largely because the worst part for them is is that once Anibal Sanchez went down, they kind of floundered somewhat trying to figure out who's... Who's our Who's the next guy up? Yeah, I mean they gave key playoff uh, post September innings to Kyle Lobstein. Right, and that's after going through Buck Farmer and right. and you know some others. Their bullpen is still that's frightening. They didn't have the bullpen arms to try to do. What right, the no, no, did. no. <laughs> that would have just been like here, here, here's some kerosene, exactly. you know, enjoy, you know. I mean they're they're the team. They're the team for you know young manager. Inexperienced, you, you you say okay, how's he going to have a postseason? He, they run the risk of being criticized the most because I understand in some ways why David Price might go longer in a game than he really should. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And he, I, I don't. Uh, they, they've done that a few times in September with starting pitchers. It almost always seemed like it backfired for them, but I understand why they did it. Jeff Supon. That was who I was talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. soft tosser had had good years with, even with the Cardinals as late as two thousand four. Right, but he was bad base running, good pitching. But he was the guy who it was like, is it really worth bringing him into the AL East? If again, at that time it was really not. Yeah, he got hammered. I do remember that. Good. I, I, I was automatically thinking left-hander. So when you yeah. said soft tosser, um, but yeah, Detroit to me, uh, Detroit Baltimore series is kind of a fascinating series of uh, those. Two. Who's your favorite in each league, JJ? American League, National League. Do you have a favorite? <sighs> I, I do think it's funny. Like I, I think it has to be the Nationals in the NL because I feel like I that they're complete. Yeah, like, I agree. I, I feel like with the, you know, not that I think the card. You know, I want to talk. We haven't talked about the Pirates, and yeah. I, I don't want to give them. I, I'm sorry to give the Giants short shrift, but I, I do. I find the Pirates fascinating because 
It's funny. The Royals are understandably the story of, hey, they made the playoffs. Yeah. You know, they ended their drought last year. That that was a great story for the pitch. But to me, what the Pirates have done, massive credit to their front office, yeah. to Clint Hurl, massive credit to everyone there because they have now, I know that they fell apart two years in a row right. in a gut-wrenching fashion if you're a Pirates fan, but they have been a quality team for half the season, then half the season, yeah. then a full season. So they half the season, a little longer the next year. Then they got over the hump last year. And then to sustain it is harder than to do it once. And not only that, but the way they do it. I mean, they've they've been creative when they've had holes created. Josh Harrison yeah. you know, ended up being the, hey, we can stick them wherever we need to, which is incredibly useful. And I don't think he should get MVP votes because yeah, to have a guy – who produced like he did, but not only that, but if you need a second base with Neil Walker, okay, well, you know, if you need Andrew a third McCutcheon, baseman. How often has Andrew McCutcheon thrown at? How often has he how often, I feel like his injury of the, you know, the ribs, what do you have, cracked rib, and he's played with it. The whole second half, he's been better. He's had a better year this year than he had last year. He doesn't have as much help in terms of that one big bag. It's certainly their whole lineup feels like it's just significantly better. But last year they had Pedro Alvarez, tied for the National League lead in home runs. So you had one other big threat. This year, it feels like the whole team's a threat. I think Jordy Mercer's their only starter, along with their right field conglomeration that's below average uh, league average OPS. But I think even Mercer's uh, offensive production is above average for a shortstop. Absolutely. 27 doubles, 12 home runs. So their offense is up, but McCutcheon's just been tremendous. I mean, he doesn't get talked about enough, it feels like, in the National League MVP race. And the other key, what, all the stuff you're talking about, JJ, is the, the case for the Pirates as organization of the year is very strong because there's, it's a sustained. And this is a franchise a couple years ago, we were kind of mocking them for the Hoka Hayes stuff and all the stuff they were doing in the Instructional League. And it felt like they were trying to turn the corner and just couldn't. But they certainly have. I, mean, I think Clint Hurdle deserves credit for that. I think Neil Huntington deserves credit for that. Absolutely. And I think that the number one credit for that, to me, goes to Andrew McCutcheon. They have a star they've built around and uh, he's taken that leadership role the way you're supposed to not so much vocally in the press but just like playing through injury raising his game when he's when, when his team needs him he's so much fun to watch as a star uh, a compelling star of a team that's another guy who i hope uh, if pittsburgh has a deep playoff run uh that his profile nationally is raised that being said the other thing i think you have to give massive credit there is his race urge Yes, uh, absolutely. And, so and, Jim, ben- and Jim Benedict at the yep. minor league level, because what they have done, yep, it is, point. it is to me the, the the most impressive thing in many ways that they have done is that most difficult thing. Well, I don't want to say most difficult, but one of the most difficult things out there is is to take the year after year they're taking pitching reclamation projects and they're figuring out doesn't always work. Yep, but they've taken guy after guy. Edison Volquez is pitching. The the wild card game yeah. tomorrow. Now this is the and it's not something where you go wow. I mean, they're not doing it from the standpoint of oh boy, this just did not work out for this us. This is the guy who like uh, gave up the home run to Chris uh, to your boy Colabello in the WBC for the Dominican last year, 
And, like, he was sort of the Dominican ace in the WBC. That's about the only time Edison Volk has ever, has ever been a playoff ace. That, you the, know? Do you remember? I remember him in the playoffs with the Reds, yeah. where the Reds didn't have an ace, and so they threw him out there, and it's like, exactly. ah, well, if everything goes right, he could shove for seven innings, but he also could be done in the first. That's it. He and had he was more to be done in the first. That's it. He had his chance to be a playoff ace, and he completely whiffed on it. He's kind of always had ace stuff. I remember he was I did one of the years I did the Rangers prospect list, and he was in the Midwest League, and I had him 12th because scouts I talked to did not like the arm action, didn't see a breaking ball, fastball. I, and I remember, remember thinking, fastball changeup right-hander with a weird arm action. Sounds like a reliever. And I remember A.J. Preller, who had just gone to work for the Rangers, I believe, saying, you are so light on Volquez. I mean, I'm just telling you, that guy is a frontline starter. So, A.J., now your general manager in San Diego, correct. John Manuel, incorrect. So that's why he's one of the many reasons he's a GM. But I mean, he's he's had, he's been a tease for a long time. He's certainly had his moments. But Ray Searage is a guy where I get texts from scouts who are like, "Yeah, I'll probably go to Pittsburgh and Ray Searage will turn him into a stud." So like you said, Jim he's Benedict, become, he's become another another Cooper. I mean, yeah, he's really he had. has. And Jim Benedict was the guy who has started this blueprint for them on the amateur on the uh, player development side of pitching development and look at the stride they've made there. I know Tyone got hurt, but Glasno, Kingham, they've got prospects coming Cole. through. And and Garrett Cole, I mean that was a great obviously I mean, you're gonna pick first overall in a draft. Uh that was like what the last time that the Astros didn't pick first overall in a draft. So they made the right pick. Timing certainly helps. But the Nationals drafted first overall back to back years, Strasburg and Harper Pirates, Garrett Cole. That, that that timing is good. But the other thing about it is is that I also find interesting is is that we now are seeing this year we have the two small market teams who took the approach, which I think was a wise approach. Yes. That was the old draft system that said, you know what? Like the Royals, if you rewind the clock back to 2000, the Royals were always cheap. Where's your return on investment going to be, though? Right. Be- but, better but, for that. But the Royals, if you went back to like 2003, 4, 5, what they would always do is. Oh, even before that. Yeah. yeah. But, but they would always go out. I'm saying even right before they changed this, it was like. <sighs> Yeah, we'll give three years to Jose Guillen. <laughs> right. Kyle Farnsworth, yeah, you know. I mean, Five to Gilmesh. You know, think, they did that. And what they did is they said, you know what? Is it, if we're going to spend 30 mil over the next three years, would it be better to spend it on a second division to fringe first division outfielder right. at the big league level? Who we have to overpay to get him to come to Kansas City. City. Right. Or... Do we take that thirty million and go out and get an extra? Oh, I don't know, thirty prospects. <laughs> right, absolutely. And what they did, the Pirates did the same thing, yep. and it doesn't always work out. And there's guys you end up paying. You, they end up both of them have guys you look at and you say, they give that guy that much money. Yeah, exactly. Zaphon Rosenberg, Tim Melville, things like that. That being said, Tim Melville, nice blast from the past. But that being said, <clears throat> they both pay. They benefited enormously from that. No doubt. And again, I will come back to, I follow that at some point there may have been a need to make a correction because if the Yankees, the Red Sox had already done it, but if the Yankees had done it and the Angels had done it and the Dodgers had done it, there would be a point where you'd say, no, this is disadvantageous right. to the small market teams. That ha- that point had not happened, and they took this away. And the Red Sox spent like that, and they benefited from it last year, but they've also finished last in their division two of the last three seasons. Very strange. And at the same time, though, you look at Boston's farm system and say, this is a team that is really they- positioned to be very good again with cheap young talent in the near future. 
But, but it's, it's very strange that they spent as profligately as any team. The Nationals, another team, again, that used to stink on toast, and they spent profligately in the draft back-to-back years with the number one overall pick. I think the year they Not only that, but back-to-back years, but also, and it's become like the thing, it's become part of draft bingo. Right. What, what is the injured, injured guy? guy who is a <laughs> Scott Boris, you know, client who will fall in the draft? Lucas Giolito, <laughs> Eric Fetty. I mean, injured, he only fell six spots, but Anthony Rendon was injured. Right. I mean, check, DH check, the whole year. Check. And, and uh, it certainly has benefited them. Yeah, my favorite in the National League is definitely Washington. I'm glad you had the digression on Pittsburgh. I don't know who the favorite in the, is, is in the American League. Even with their injuries, I feel like it's Baltimore because I think their starting pitching is underrated significantly, and I feel like their bullpen is just I, outstanding. I feel like they have more ways to beat you. I See, I'll disagree. Okay. And the reason I say I don't think there is is that I think in the playoffs, could be wrong, this is just kind of one of those gut feel things, they are their offense. It's home run oriented. If, if they don't get home runs, they, they don't hit singles. They don't they, they right. don't ever get an extra base ever. They had, right. I think they had. I they're, think, they're cloggers. I was going to say. I think you know. Basically, you could pick out. I, I, a stat I did last week is Terrence Gore has played like eight games for the Royals, and I think he would be third on the Orioles in steals. Yeah, I think you're right. No, it's a clogging team, and also I mean like uh, Adam Jones had this great year. Adam Jones, I think, has 132 strikeouts and 19 walks. But that said, though, JJ, this is such a less offensive era. I feel like they're going to run. They have too much power. They're going to run into one, I think, enough times to win those low-scoring games with their bullpen. And I also like their defense, um, even without Machado. I, I think one of the more underrated players of the last 10 years is J.J. Hardy. Uh, J.J. Hardy is the guy who every year you go, oh, so how much longer does he have? And yeah, you know, I know his home runs were down, but the guy is such a good defensive player. He's so reliable. And, you know, his teams win. When he was with Milwaukee, that's when they got good and went to the playoffs. Did they go to the LCS the year with the shortstop there? Then they traded him to Minnesota because they had Alcides, Alcides Escobar coming up. And Minnesota, he went to the playoffs there. And now he's gone to Baltimore, and he's won, play, he's won there. If he's Derek Jeter's short-term replacement in New York as a free agent, that's smart if New York goes in that direction. He'd be smarter than Brendan Ryan. I'm just, I'm basically saying that for the internal Yankees fans here in the office who form a Brendan Ryan fan club that I can't understand. So. But I do think, though, I think that they're – I do like their bullpen and all, but I do think that in, I just in the division. playoffs, in the playoffs where offense is down, it's funny, like, we just talked about how in some ways – the Royals are the the car the exact opposite, obviously, yeah. of them. I think that the Royals' approach in the playoffs is often a little bit more productive. Maybe that's the reason. I mean, the, the team that I look at over the last twenty years and go, wait, how did they? And they made it twice, so I shouldn't. Right. Say, but how did the Indians? How did the '90s Indians never win one? Hard to believe. Jim Jolly batting. Oh, by the way. Okay, the good news is you got to the middle of the lineup, and so now you got Tomei and Manny coming well, the in. The 21st century Indians, as we were just talking about, I just read someone, uh, a blogger, talking about uh, Ron Gardenhire getting fired and how the Twins won the division four times in six years. Yeah, but the American League Central was weak. It's like, I just read that, and I just kind of did a double take. Like, the White Sox won a World Series for the first time in 88 years in that span of weak American League Central. And the... Indians had Cliff Lee and CC Sabathia at the same time. The Indians just had this ridiculous time shift where they had these two Cy Young Award winners 10 years too late, basically. And then they had one of those dudes when they had those Tommy, Manny Ramirez, just one, 
you got to feel like LeBron wouldn't have had so much pressure to win one for Northeast Ohio. The Indians would have gotten it done. But, uh, but, no, but, but my, my point being, though, yeah. is that this is the kind I, of team that I could do win. think I wonder how much how much does I again, I don't want to go too far in manufacturing because I think that there is a chance that a, a team like the Royals, because you get the postseason and we're going to see it's going to be again, it's going to be it's going to be College World Series in Omaha yes. and, you know, type approach. Which I do think, no, this is not something where you're bunting, you know, in the first inning to try to, you know, to get a guy from second to third, which which Ned Yost did recently. I'm say you don't know, JJ. I, I'm not, but no, I'm, you know, there, I don't think I think you can take yourself out of situations just as easily. That being said, I do think that having a, a contact-oriented, put the ball in play type approach. That is a good approach, I think, in today's baseball. I think that's the other trend that you're going to – that will be the counter to all the bullpen, yeah, the relievers, and the shifting and that kind of back control. Hitters have a little bit more contact rate and back control to counter those. The digression, back approach. to the digression one more time, though, is do you think that we're going to have to, at some point, change the rules of the game? Because, again, I, I worry – we both talked about it. If right. we come in a situation where teams go, you know what, on a normal night – we are better off, especially come postseason. We are better off if we get four <laughs> and just handing it off. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think there are other. I know there's this time of pace of game, pace of play committee that inexplicably has George Will and all these old people on it. I just don't understand why these Commissioner Seelig loved his committees. Um, I think they will have other recommendations that don't include limiting the manager's choices of pitchers he can use. So. I don't think that they, I don't think we're going to have to get to that point because the thing because changing pitchers in between innings doesn't slow the game down as much. It's the in inning changes and the visits that's the stuff that kills it. That might be legislated out, but the, no. What I'm saying is, is, if you do that, if you do that, I think if, that's what I'm talking about. Though is this? Yeah, if there is some legislation that says, you know what, you can't use, you cannot go righty lefty righty. I do think that's possible. Yes. I do. Think, I do think that's possible. Um, I, I do I would, think I would that recommend is the part. against it. I don't. I don't like it. I would. Let, I wouldn't want to legislate that, but I would want to see if the game just naturally takes. Care. Usually, those things do evolve. And again, if hitters evolve to less of an all-power sellout approach to more of a contact-oriented approach against this kind of pitching that they're seeing, but you know, or the other change could just be a redefinition of the strike zone. If you just lift the strike zone a little bit and make it top of the knees instead of bottom of the knees for a strike. And you force pitchers to be up. Yeah, you're gonna have that velocity. But if you miss up, you're more likely to get punished for it as opposed to when you miss down. You miss with a ground ball. Uh, you get hurt with a ground ball as opposed to a home run. Those, those are kind of unforeseen changes. I would I would not want a monkey with the rules like that if you didn't if you didn't have to. But uh, no, I, my worry is is I do worry that we may. You may I, have I, to. I thought you were saying because but. We have not yet seen. I know how you say the game does often regulate, but every trend we have seen in baseball over the last forty years has been for more reliever, more relief appearances, Correct. more changes. We haven't seen any that zig back the other way. Correct. And that my concern is is that because I mean, that change to me, JJ. Uh, maybe I'm thinking too deep on it. I think it has to start at the amateur level. It has to come with major league baseball. Stop outsourcing its amateur baseball and. Take control of the showcase circuit and pre-draft those kind of things, workouts, whatever. Set the schedule for when players can play in these events, these kind of tournaments, 
and try to have them so that you develop starting pitchers as amateurs, not one-inning, throw-to-the-radar gun development. That is how I think this evolution has been accelerated. I agree. Total Russo won, but I think it's also it's reinforced at the amateur level, yeah, and I right, hate it. Right so now we're seeing... Colleges, too, do the same thing. But colleges do, too. I mean, right now what we're seeing is, as we talked about, we did stories about how much... Like, you look at this draft class, and the number of guys who threw 95-plus was insane. Right. Most of those guys, if they, if they can relievers. maintain that velocity, they're going to be relievers. And when that hits... If you said, hey, by the way, we've got seven guys in our pen who throw 95-plus, which we're going to see teams who can do that. Yeah, we're close to that now. The we're Royals close, are to, close to that. When that happens, again, my worry is because as far as the game being watchable, and there, is pick- nothing, there is nothing that makes a game more watchable about the balance of, I know there's some interesting, but is he bringing the lefty? It's not that interesting, though, when you go, okay, the manager's out for a visit, Ah, yeah, they're bringing the next one. We'll be back after this five-minute commercial break. Like, like Bill James writes, there is no strategy to that. You know, it's like it's like in the national. Like it's like how he wrote about how the American League actually does have more strategy with the DH because in the National League, there's no strategy. You know, the pitcher's either going to make it out if no one's on base, or he's going to bunt if someone is on base, or he's going to be not, hit for. That's, that's it. not strategy. That's not that, that is just not strategy. That's automatic. There's no thought process. It's rote. It's in the binder. If you want to go to make, make that joke. So there, there's, there's less strategy because you know in the late innings it's going to go to the lefty. Your left-handed hitter is going to face a left-handed pitcher every time. So it is, there, it's there actually is, less There strategy. is one part, though, that I, I almost disparage. It's like, oh, but, you know, when they have interleague, it's like, well, you've got to be used to the double switch. This isn't brain science. This is not, not. No, this is not something where you go, okay, well, we need to do brain surgery today. This is like, okay, wait. So I bet this guy seventh and this guy ninth? Yeah, exactly. It's just I mean, not. it's not something where you go, oh, I, I, I'm all... And it's just Floppity so funny, now. 10, 15 years ago, I was so, whenever the DH debate was brought up, I was like, let's just get rid of it. Offense is too high. You know, the need for the DH has passed. I'm sure I said that on a podcast. The need for the DH has passed. The reason it was brought in was to prop up off. And now it's like, okay, yeah, go ahead, bring the DH to the National League. I don't care. Every other tradition in baseball has been pretty much shattered, whether it's the numbers that don't matter or interleague play or, you know, expanded playoffs. What's, what's the pitcher? The pitcher batting does not bring enough to the game for me to preserve it. I would rather see hitters hit and pitchers pitch. So leave, leave, the, leave the Can-Am League as the last league to let pitchers hit. So, KJ, real quick, uh, I'm, I'm not going to make you make a pick. I didn't want to hit on these quick changes. Mm-hmm. A quick reaction to Ron Gardenhire getting fired. Any reaction at all? It had to happen. It had to happen. I mean, Four I, years I, in a row, 90 plus losses. I, I, with these decisions, it's the same thing like with the Braves. Like, That's the next one. Frank Wren getting fired. My thing is this. I, I come back to this. These decisions are not made in a vacuum. How, if you were, this year in Minnesota, the thing that saved Ron Gardenhire's job for a year was they had the All-Star game this year. Yeah. So you could sell tickets based off, get your, you know, buy a season ticket, get your All-Star game ticket. Come see Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano in the future right. game. Oh, Don't! Don't. <laughs> you, but how do you sell, if you did not make changes there, how do you sell that team in this offseason? Same thing with the Braves. With the you mean sell them like buy tickets, tickets out of your kind of the pole ad selling the team, right? But I'm okay. saying, how do you how do you market this team, right, to build some sort of excitement? For and their attendance year? have been down every year in that ballpark because they never win. And again, not that changing him is going to all of a sudden like people are going to line up with the new manager hire right. to run to the gates, you know, like please give me six. But if you're not tickets. selling the same old, same old, I will say the Twins' development at the big league level of position players 
continues to be fairly impressive. Brian Dozier is better than anybody thought he would be. Guy hit 23 home mm-hmm. runs this year. Danny Santana had a boffo rookie season. If you did not, if Major League Baseball had changed its rules and said Jose Abreu and Masahiro Tanaka were not rookie eligible, Danny Santana is probably your American League Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Guy hit over 300 power and speed. His slug almost like 480. Played shortstop in center field. Good pitchers this year too, though. They were like Jordano Ventura, a very good pitcher. I think he's your other competition. But from a position player standpoint, Danny Santana had a really, really good rookie year. Right. In any year, he would be a rookie of the year contender. Not for his year, year was yeah. his year was that good. Um, but no, but I was going to say is Vargas, another one. They just they can't develop pitching. It's been a problem for them for like six, seven years. Going back to the, is Nick Blackburn really a prospect era? And they, they can't develop pitching. They kill for Nick Blackburn and these they, days. They can't develop pitching and. They can't go out, and they, they're really caught in that netherworld in between. It worked out this year with Phil Hughes, but the reality is, is if you are— They're like one for three, because Phil Hughes, yes. Ricky Nolasco, no. Kevin Correa, shockingly if you're, no. If you're bottom feeding for starting pitchers, that's a very dangerous world to be in. Correct. Especially, again, this is the thing to me, is, is this is where the Ray Searges of the world become so valuable, yep. is if you have a guy like that, that guy, those players— Brent Strom, I think, is, you know, we see him in Houston now. If you are an outstanding pitching coach who can really develop guys like that, right. you're worth way, way, way more than you ever get paid. No, you're exactly right. So, um, yeah, that was not a surprise. Neither was um, uh, Frank Wren in Atlanta. You know, I, I, I'm, to me, the thing that makes the most sense for Atlanta, when you listen to, the, when you listen to Bobby Cox and John Sherholtz talk at that press conference about and how different was that? Frank Wren, nowhere to be seen. Ghost of Braves past brought in. It was like a 1995 World Series press conference with John Hart, Bobby Cox, and John Sherholtz on that dais in Atlanta. Um, whereas in Minnesota, it was also like a 1995 press conference. You know, Ron Gardner was a coach at that time. Terry Ryan was a GM. Uh, no changes there. But Gardner was there at his firing press conference. Frank Wren, nah. I'm surprised the Braves just didn't cut Kyle Wren that day just for the heck of it. I mean, just to make a completely clean break off of Kyle Wren, probably one of their top ten prospects. That, to me, J.J., is the biggest reason why Frank Wren was let go. Yes, the big league team struggled, but they're just not the Braves anymore. Their farm system is bereft. It's a thin farm system. Uh, it, it is. And you know, Tony Demacio's way of drafting is pretty different from the way that Paul Snyder and after him Roy Clark would not shock me if the Braves... There's all the talk about John Coppolella, their assistant general manager, who we both find very capable. Uh, you know, think of him. I, I think of him as a future GM. I could see him being their GM in training the way John Hart ended up doing that with John Daniels in Texas. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if part of that was you got to bring Roy Clark back. Roy Clark, sky director uh, through Clark, 2009. Roy Clark with the Na- went to Washington. Now he's national cross checker with the Dodgers. If you're Roy Clark, you're coming back to Atlanta. You gotta be invested with some power, you know, right. if he comes back. But to me, Roy Clark was the Atlanta Braves scouting department for the first 15 years I was at VA. So I, I, it would not shock me if he were brought back. And that's a name I don't see talked about with Braves' future that needs to be talked about. It wouldn't even shock me if he were brought back and made general manager. But what I think with the, I think you're right. The farm system is thin, very thin right now. The other thing though is, is I think even more than that, what ended up basically leading to Ren's demise is is that the Braves have done a wonderful job when we talk about bottom feeding you know like the, the inexpensive free agent signing yep. they've done that well they've made some clever trades 
but that all gets washed aside by the tsunami <laughs> that was the Dan Ugla and the B.J. Upton contracts. Like, and also, yeah, and before that, Derek Lowe. They had to pay somebody right. to take Derek Lowe, too. Right. They are a team. It, it's funny. We have, it, if, if you've been around baseball as long as both of us have, we're having to recalibrate because I always have thought of, you know, before their current ownership, the Braves were a big market team. Right, yeah. We grew up with the Braves in the 90s. We 80s and, yeah, but 80s but, and 90s, they were, even when they were terrible. In the early 80s, certainly, Ted Turner was a profligate spender. Like Alex Trevino, Bruce got a half Suter million dollars. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they spent big money on free agents. You're right. Nick Asaski. Yeah, nice I, call. You know, I, and, but, but, you know, hey, I was growing up Vertigo, in Georgia at the time. I could, I could keep going. I, I could keep going on this. But, but, um, but nowadays, they are a very financially limited team. And they just cannot survive. They're eating Dan Ugla's contract. They're they cannot raised survive. North. Right now, they're raised north. I mean, why would they get their new ballpark? Or, or Mets South. They are kind of like that. That's and that is, to me, uh, again, digression. But it shows in that division. To me, you have three, basically, teams that run on a very modest budget, which two of them shouldn't, and then you have the, the Phillies, who are just a whole bunch of When we say two of them shouldn't, to me, the crime of, of, of all this is, is that there is... Uh, the Braves, at least I somewhat understand, in that... The reason they were a big market team was the Superstation, right. and they don't have that anymore. I follow that. They've got a terrible TV contract. I, the Mets, there is no, I'm sorry, they're almost, I know you can't put it in the bylaws, but it should be in the bylaws. If you can't afford to spend money on the team in New York when you're the Mets owner, you have to sell the team. That's really, uh, when uh, at some point, I'm sure we'll do some kind of Bud Selig legacy podcast, that's one of the blacker marks to me on his legacy to me is, the things that, just the inconsistencies, we've seen this in all other pro sports, the inconsistencies of what's allowed by the commissioners of a sport from one owner to another. I mean, how Wilpon is not, is still around as an owner, allowed to own a team that's in one of your big markets and it's operates like that. Well, it <laughs> should be. But I'm saying, it but should, it be. should be. It Historically, is. it never has been. No, but, but I'm saying, though, but no, when you talk about fandom and all, I, if I they're, agree. whenever they're good, no, they, are a, they are a flagship the same way. But, and I'm going to see what's The most popular television show of the last 20 years, non-football category, was Seinfeld. And the star of that show was a giant Mets fan. And even he had to do storylines about the Yankees because the Mets were such an embarrassment. And they remain one. And, I mean, it's, it's sad that they don't spend money. They actually had a positive run differential this year. But, and still were four but, games. And under they're five saying hundred. that they're going to have to, though, probably trade off a pitcher or two unreal. to make payroll right the Unre- next year. It's, it's, and it's that's unreal. And, and, that and is there's a, a sexual I, assault case against the owner. I mean, like, how... Sexual that's harassment. To, harassment, thank you. Thank you. How that is still allowed to fester is mind-boggling. We'll do a Bud Selig legacy, and there are many good things. But, and maybe it's impossible, but the reality is, is that if you look at it, one of Bud Selig's biggest problems has been bad owners at times. I mean, like, you look at the Dodgers. One one. You, you, but you look at the Dodgers... <laughs> And you say, like, I mean, finally the Dodgers are back in, but, but the, the Dodgers McCord were situation, the certainly. Dodgers were killed. Were basically their their flagship status was gutted for yeah. a while because of the, ownership is vital. Well, to, just look at it for several of. I mean, that's really, you can think of three of baseball's biggest markets: the L.A. and New York, where mm-hmm. the Mets he allowed to fester. The Dodgers he turned into a laughingstock, like the Mets, and Houston, where Drayton McLean. Ran that team on the cheap from a team that's the fourth largest city in America, oh, I'll, I'll fifth largest over. city. Chicago. 
Well, yeah. Oh, well, the Cubs. But the Cubs are the Cubs. No, no, no. But but also the reality is is that the White Sox would spend money, but the White Sox essentially decided to uh, you know abstain from the draft. For yeah, about but a, you know, but at the same time, the White Sox won a World Series for the first time in eighty-eight years or whatever it was, and the Cubs in the last decade, probably their most successful decade since the first decade. So I, I can't okay. fault them on the. I, I think the last fifteen years have actually been good in Chicago baseball by Chicago by, by baseball standards. standards. Yes. I think got a I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But Drake McLean had a team that went to the World Series in two thousand five for the first time, most successful era in Astros history, and then he was just basically allowed to again. He paid less attention to the draft than even. Jerry Reinsdorf did, and the Astros were run into the ground, and now we have the situation that they have. They're the hiring fans a new manager. But their fans can't, and their fans, we're still waiting to see, like, hey, can Houston fans see Houston on TV? I mean, that's... And that's a unique market, because, let's face it, can you even imagine any other market in Texas losing a professional football team? Houston, I'm just saying success, you have to keep winning in that market to be vital, and they lost a lot of fans by being as bad as they were. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing that wasn't part of the job description when Jeff Luno took over. Now A.J. Hinch as their manager. This seems like a match made in heaven, J.J., the analytics organization with a very analytical, not, but a, an ex-player who has bonafide. He's been a general manager. He's been a manager. He's been a big league player. That seems like been, a good match. But not that. I mean, he's been a general manager. He's been a manager. Farm director. He's been a farm director. I when I heard Pro that, scouting. you know, when I heard that, it was like, this is, if you were gonna say match up the two, yes. I can't think of a better combination because I can't see that there is any gonna be any sort of organizational disconnect, which we clearly saw did exist. Definitely, Good there won't up. be that. And I also think one other thing with it is is that if it happens, it'll be a personality clash, not a philosophical clash. But also with that is is, and I think that. AJ Hinch, we'll have to see. Haven't you know? Ha- haven't asked him this or anything, but they had a pitching coach who is, in some ways, it's not something. This is not a situation where really you say, "Hey, you come in and you put together your stuff." The pitching coach is here, and, I, I, and I, it should be. I think that uh, AJ Hinch is smart enough to recognize that Brett Strom is a significant asset there. Right. When you well, look what, at what happened with a Colin McHugh, you look at some of the development of their of their Dallas Keuchel. Look but at the growth I'm, some of those guys have made. Well, what I'm Houston. saying, and I think he will do that. Whereas I think that again, if you went in a different direction, yeah. it very well could be. No, wait, you're saying I can't hire my pitching no, coach. No, the, the, there was a tough summer in Houston in a lot of ways. I understand uh, for, as an organization that had six, seven weeks of very bad publicity. This is a winning move to me. And I, I, and again, I've said it before. And I don't think on the podcast I've said it on Twitter. We are now. They have. <laughs> I, I think that six or seven weeks is as bad as it gets. Yeah. Le- as long as as long as there's not a ruling that comes out that says, by the way, you know, um, yes, we've the grievance yeah, exactly. has been heard. You don't have uh, your two first round picks. As long as that does not happen, yes, we are now like the news. The Astros finished much stronger. They're actually yeah. a com- in the last month and two months of the season. They're a competitive team. Like their second half was the best. Two three months of baseball they've played in five years. Basically, they so have like a new manager, which you get the positive publicity from that. You go into next season where you got a batting champion in Jose Altuve, and you have a team that you say basically goes into next year where a winning record is not just a goal but a legitimate one. And right. hey, if you get to a winning record, all of a sudden you can get to eighty seven. You know, a playoff spot is going into next year with a couple of free agent signings is not 
an incredible crazy like you laugh and say you know what are they thinking La- last thing uh, uh any any thoughts on the uh changes in arizona with uh, dave stewart becoming a general manager under uh, tony larusa or the least surprising firing of the offseason so far marty wolver being fired in uh, philadelphia as their scouting director after a 12-year tenure uh first off in arizona i mean you had to see things change i mean you, you just that they zigged with and uh, hey they if you're going to do it, you do it. But you look at it in hindsight and you go, okay, Robbie, you're, you're, I'll put it this way. No organization, no organization out there in the next decade is going to say that when they trade that really what we're looking for is grit. Yeah, I mean, you, exactly. that, that has been killed. That yeah. has been killed for a long, long time to say that we're, you know, that's why we're making moves. We are in a world where mistakes keep getting repeated, as we see in, our, in, in the Middle East. But, uh, yeah, I don't see that happening. That, that's, that's gone. You do and, also wonder, like, is Kevin Towers' career as a general manager over? Feels like it probably is. That was a pretty disastrous run in Arizona. But and will to, Kurt, I wonder if Kurt Gibson ever gets a chance to manage again. I would imagine so, but I'm not probably so going to sure. take a couple of years. It's going to take at least, I mean, what he needs to do now is find a, you know, a cohort or someone who can have him as a bench coach or something yeah. where he can have success somewhere. And also lighten up a little bit. Right. <laughs> you know? And what was the second one? It was, it was uh, Marty Wolliver firing. Uh, there's no other way to put it, you know, but it's that is one of those things where I, I'm trying to find a good analogy. I'm not going to find one in 10 seconds on the podcast. So the we'll boss, the boss, exactly, <laughs> the boss fires the scouting director. And the rightful question that anyone who gets fired by the Phillies can have right now is this wait, but you're still here? Scapegoat City, no doubt. I'm not saying that Mario Bolivar was the greatest scouting director of all time. I loved it at, at the time. This 2008 draft, I turned out he had like eight, nine big leaguers on that 2008 draft, and I don't think scouting and player development is the biggest reason why the Phillies are in the predicament they're in. They traded a ton of prospects. Hey, Jonathan Singleton is over there. He, I mean, I know he hit 160, but he's still a guy they're building around. What That's a guy we, the Phillies drafted. We put together an entire. We could probably come close to putting together an entire lineup of traded Phillies. Yeah, guys they scouted and, and developed. I mean. An infield, a homegrown infield would probably have Singleton. Uh, Villar was not a drafted guy, but a guy they drafted. Uh, Sion, I mean, Sal Gustinelli, very productive mm-hmm. international uh, group. Uh, Cody Ashey, who did play third base for them. Obviously, they already have a homegrown middle infield. Although Chase Utley has been there so long, he was drafted by Mike Arbuckle. Even though, yeah. so I do think it's ironic that Arbuckle helping Kansas City get to the big leagues Whereas the Phillies have faltered, uh, but but no, Travis. Not the I big mean, leagues, the playoffs. Yeah, it's hard to remember, but Travis Darnold was, you know, yeah, Phillies was, was a Philly. Yeah, yeah I mean, great point. It's I hard to remember that because he's a rookie this year with a match. They traded so many times. Yeah, they've been traded so many times, but that was, you know, they traded him. Even David Buchanan this year kind of kind of came out of nowhere, went through the Rule Five draft last year undrafted, and he was solid this year in the big leagues. I mean, he was pretty decent for a rookie. I mean, there's something there. Uh, the guy was an unsigned seventh-round pick at high again, school. But no, again, so, yeah, I think to me, when we talk his... about repeating mistakes, two year, two, three seasons ago now, because we just finished the season, so three seasons ago, coming off of success, and they struggled, it is completely fair to say, let's keep the gang together and right. see if we can get one more out yeah, of it. Yeah, but you're coming off 2012. To go into 2013 and think, let's try one more with one last breath, we'll stab at the... But then to come back in 2014 with the same cast and crew, that was stunning. And then in midseason to say, well, we're kind of shocked to see that, you know, all these guys have gotten hurt and they're not as productive. And you go, your lineup's 35 these, years old. And I, I, these other general managers weren't bold enough to make a trade. They weren't bold enough to take my problems, you know, my contract problems. Uh, again. It's it, a pretty big disaster for a franchise that 
four years ago. It seemed like a model franchise because they had it all rolling, and uh, Ruben Amaro's taking that and running into the ground in quick fashion. It didn't take long, and he seemed to be the only one who didn't. He was the last one to figure it out, so... And then, uh, and again, Oliver uh, got scapegoated, I think. Uh, the, the, but certainly the Ben Wetzler thing did not help JJ. And I think, it, and he just, you know, he deserves some of the ridicule for taking a situation like that. And I'm not defending the kid. The kid probably lied. The kid said he was in a sign and then changed his mind. But 21, 22 year old guys, they they do that. You just don't to be the one organization that that outed a player like that and turned him in, turned in two players. Uh, not a good look. And I mean that as much as anything is why he was easy to scapegoat for Ruben Amaro. The, the interesting one last thing. This is a separate podcast of his own to be done at some point. The interesting thing about the current CBA structure and how it structures financially, in some ways, it almost creates a system that makes it very difficult for big market teams. <laughs> I, I think I think that I don't I don't think it is completely an accident. That we saw the Yankees have struggled for multiple years now. Yeah. The Red Sox won it. I mean, yeah. basement the won it. Basement. The Phillies. And the Angels are headed there. And the Angels, I mean, we're right now, if you're Sooner looking at the 2016, 2017 Angels, you say, ooh, this, this. And hey, guess who picks last in the first round in 2015 right now, as of now? The Angels. Right. All that because the way that the has been structured, you've taken the money out of talent acquisition, player acquisition. You are fixed, essentially, in how much you can spend in the draft. Yeah. Not even essentially. You are fixed. You're fixed. You, you are fixed in how much you can spend. Internationally, in, too. Essentially. Now, you can go out like the Yankees did this year, every other year, and spend money. Right. But you are, and, that, and the thing about this is, I bet you that we're going to see that get closed. Yeah. But for 2016, though, just for, just for grits and shiggles, for 2016, the only way the Angels are going to avoid this tunnel, this, the light at the end of the tunnel has gone out, the only way they're going to relight that on their, on their helmet looking ahead is Japan or Cuba. If I were the Angels, if I were Jerry Depoto, well, that's why you're just kicking the can down the road right. with that. If I were Jerry Depoto, I'd be scouring Ben Badler's top 10 Cuba list and saying, hmm, how can we get some of these pitchers out of here? But my, my thing being, though, that so what that has is when you take all that money away, you got to spend the money somewhere. So, this has to be the last point. So, so it ends up being free agency. So it ends up being free agency. Well, what happens in free agency? You end up getting guys to contracts that you go, ooh, that's going to really... Carlos Beltran's contract, I mean, which is not even the biggest deal that right. the Yankees have done. How many deals have the Yankees done in the last decade that two, three, four years... C.C. Sabathia's deal, which was great at the start, yeah. it looks awful now. Hey, Teixeira, hey, they're still paying A-Rod and they have to deal with A-Rod next year. So there are a lot of those for those larger market teams. I agree. We basically the rules in Major League Baseball has set up an NFL style churn where uh, now and and it really makes you wonder if you're a fan of the two seventy seven expansion teams that in the last since two thousand three twenty eight of the thirty teams have been to the postseason with the Mariners and the Blue Jays the only exceptions their turn has to be coming up soon because that's the way mm-hmm. baseball's rules are certainly set up and reinforced that definitely is a part of Bud Selig's legacy he's probably most proud of and in his mind. He's enhanced competitive balance probably more than any uh, commissioner is, ever had. There is and no, there's some truth to that. There is truth to that because there is no team now that you say, if you have a well-run front office yeah, they can't over win. a five-year span, the you ring, may be bad. The Royals proved it. <laughs> but, you, you know, but you may be bad. You will get good because, again, the one thing about it is the structure now is, is we, we just talked about it. 
now that we have the you know the order, again, short of the Astros being told, nope, those two first round picks, they're not yours anymore. Right. Short of that, they should dominate next year's draft in a way we've never seen. They have the wherewithal, and the teams that pick three and four are almost in real trouble because the Astros at two and five can uh, can they dictate can, terms. Right, to, uh, not legally, but they can, but they can though because they pick two. Right. So when they're talking, you know, it's a very small window, but you could legally. When you're on the clock, be like, hey, what about this? And then go, I oh. I believe it's Colorado and Texas that pick in those two spots, and that's not going to be a fun place to pick. No. So they're going to hone in on their players. They're going to have to have a list of three and four guys and be ready to go with those guys. And uh, that list probably actually going to have to be deeper than that, people who will sign for what they can pay. I got other stuff to do. So does JJ. Uh, great podcast, JJ. That was fun. Uh, fun, long, big league podcast. Reminder, BaseballAmerica.com slash stores where you can load up on your Baseball America 2015 books from the directory, which comes out in January, the Almanac, Prospect Handbook, the Super Register, and uh, all of our other products, well, the Hall of Fame Almanac as well. One other pitch I want to put in there is it's also you can go to BaseballAmerica.store. If you're not a subscriber right now, perfect time to subscribe. Oh, We're yeah. putting up the league top 20s right now. You know, chats for the you, subscribers. You want bang for your buck, prospect lists, subscriber-only chats, um, this is a great time. Not, not just prospect to, list, but full scouting reports. So we're going to basically yes. put scouting reports up on, oh, you know, just. Uh, well, there's this either 320, I think, reports of 20 times 16 leagues. So yeah, 320 is that right? Plus, plus indie ball coming. So. I'm not counting that. Plus all the Cupid stuff, and then plus, of course, uh, 300 scouting reports coming with your top tens this off season, and the prospect handbook with 900 scouting reports plus whatever Cuban and Japanese and Korean uh, posted players. We squeeze into the appendix. So for JJ, I'm John. We'll see you in the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.